This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. It's our third week in our series. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen online at WOGCC.com. And I've explained a lot of the foundational things in the book of Romans, and I've also uh, talked about being called and separated, and then talking about growing in the grace of Jesus and understanding all of those things. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those. Just to give you a a couple things before we get into the word that I wanted to mention, the all-in service that we are going to be having September the 6th and the whole family night thing. Um, um, The heart behind this is we just want to create an environment where uh, family can come to church all together in the same room. And if I have to deal with anything that weekend that would be uh, subject matter that may be a little questionable, I'll, I'll alter some of those things slightly uh, for children's sake, uh, and, and if I can't get around it, then I'll give you plenty of heads up and know, hey, we're going to be dealing with this subject matter uh, on Saturday night, and just let you know, it's because the messages are going to be the same on Saturday as they are on Sunday. There's, it's not going to be a different message, there'll just be maybe some slight tweaks, just because I'll be aware that uh, there'll be children in here uh, for certain uh, subject matter. Uh, so anyways, just want to give you a heads up on that and let you know that we're really excited about that. Um, and uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, Packer season. So, uh, you know, Saturday it fluctuates uh, during Packer season for some reason. I don't know why. It's, it's a mystery. Sometime it'll be packed out on a Saturday night here at Word of Grace. Um, but just be aware that uh, our heart behind that is, you know, the uh, Saturday night is our lowest attended uh, service, and uh, it would just really help us out to not have to uh, try to fill all of those roles and those positions and, and things like that. Uh, and, and it would really help just to also provide an environment where family can come to church. I know that one of the most anticipated services of the year is always our Christmas Eve service. And one of the reasons is because the whole family gets to be in church together on Christmas Eve. So now we'll get to have that leading up to that as well. So it's just going to be a great alternative for you. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. And also the purpose of family night uh, is going to be the once a month uh, kind of just hangout time after that Saturday night service because we want people to get connected. We believe strongly at Word of Grace that we're called to make disciples, and disciples are best made in the context of relationship because you're only going to trust someone you have a relationship with. How can you truly be discipled if you don't have trust? How can you have trust if you don't have relationship? So we are providing more opportunities for people to connect at Word of Grace, and we've been trying to do that all summer um, through all the different activities and different things that we've had going on, and all those are opportunities. Whether you take advantage of those or not, um, just know that the opportunities are there. And we want people to connect relationally so they can build those trust things, so we can sharpen one another, so we can grow together, so we can do life together outside of just seeing one another on a weekend service. And I believe that those things are beginning to happen. And I think a lot of times uh, when you come to church, uh, you can look around, especially if you've been in a particular church for a long time, you can go, wow, I don't know anybody. You know, uh, either my friends have moved on or, 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 or there's so many newer faces or the services are so spread out with the three services that I don't, I don't see anyone that, that I know. Well, that's the purpose of these fellowship gatherings is to help people to connect. And, and so I want you to take advantage of those. And I know that it's more difficult uh, oftentimes when you get uh, uh, further along in life to reconnect because you were comfortable with the people that you're already connected to. But I would challenge you and encourage you that to invest in those relationships and invest in building relationships with one another and just have a presence there and help this 
church family to grow closer together because we have three services and, and you never know. You could be standing in behind somebody in line at Walmart and they could be going to church with you and you would never know because of the spread out. So we want to kind of help bring that closer together. We want people to feel connected and we want them to have those life-giving relationships. So that's really our heart and so kind of the purpose of those things, just so you know and give you a heads up on those to take advantage of those. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read Romans 1 and 18. God, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here to hear your word, to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, God, that you would help us to understand your word in a clear way. Pray you would anoint me to speak it with clarity and with authority. I pray, Father, that they would be your words and that your words would be heard by your people. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 1. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the church in Rome, which he's never visited, and he's kind of giving them a heads up of who he is, and he's talked to them so far about grace and justification. And remember in uh, chapter 1, in verse 8, he said, you guys are awesome. You guys are full of faith. I've heard about your faith all throughout the whole world. And then he tells them in 15 that, hey, I'm excited to come to you guys who are full of faith to preach the gospel to you, to stir your faith so you'll realize your need for grace. Again, even though you've already received grace, you need to continually grow in that. And so Paul's excited to come to them and share this with them. And in verse 17, he said that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith and then verse 18 he says this for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them hang on just a second We were talking about grace and how awesome we are, and everybody's high-fiving. Paul thinks we're great, and now we're talking about wrath and ungodliness. Seems like a a change in pace here. Understand something. The way that you look at the Bible is not necessarily the way that Paul wrote these letters because there were no chapters, there were no verses, there were no little headers above different paragraphs saying that this is what's coming, this is what's happening, because we can look at the Bible that way, and we will have a tendency to kind of shut off in our mind one thought and pick up a completely new thought as if that were Paul's intentions when in fact this is a continuous thought that he is writing about. So Paul is not swapping gears and changing direction on the Romans and going, I was real nice of you to butter you up, now wrath. That wasn't what Paul was doing. He was actually including this in his previous thoughts. And you need to read the Scripture that way. Scripture gets taken out of context grossly because people don't read the Bible uh, the way that uh, it was written. They just pick and choose and just pick things out, and that's wrong. And you can get in a lot of error that way and misunderstand the heart of God that way. So here we see that Paul was just talking about how the just shall live by faith. And then he talks about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the the truth in unrighteousness. The truth of what? What is he talking about? What kind of truth are these people suppressing? The truth that these people are suppressing is the truth that the righteous are going to live by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He said, this is them suppressing the knowledge of Christ. This is them suppressing it in unrighteousness, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against these people. How is the wrath of God revealed? We don't like talking about wrath. We don't want to talk about uh, anything except our own definition of love and grace. Well, what if I told you that our definition of love and grace is grossly misunderstood? Sometimes grace is not what you think it is. Sometimes love isn't what you think it is. Because we have this idea that love and grace means passive. Oh, we just let everything go. Nobody's accountable. 
everything just goes, whatever, whatever happened, whatever you want to do, we're just full of love and grace, and people get run over, people get taken advantage of, and oh, it's just love and grace, no big deal, there's no accountability, nothing. Well, that's not true. That's not true love and grace. That's a misinterpretation. That's a cultural interpretation of love and grace, when in fact, God's love and grace is so much deeper and richer, because you know that even the hard things Jesus did were still loving? You know, even the hard things that God has done, even the things that we read about that were really difficult to understand and receive in the Old Testament are still loving? You know that God kicking Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden was still love and grace? Well, that doesn't make much sense because it seems like some people approach the Bible as they look at Old Testament as mean God and New Testament as nice God. No, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the Lord God, I change not. And the Bible says that God is love. Love is not something God does. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's not God chooses to love. No, God is love. So that means even in the difficult things, even in the hard things, it's still grace and it's still love. When Jesus told the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, that you guys are whitewashed tombs, you're pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones, that was love. Not in our definition because we think that wasn't nice. Because we think that love is always nice and rosy and holds hands and dances through, you know, the lily fields and, 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 and sings songs and skips, you know, around and, and, and is always friendly and we're just a bunch of whacked out hippies when we think that way. And that's not really what love is. That's a misconstrued version of what love is. That's a perverted version of love. And God is saying, no, true love has to be something that reflects God's heart and his heart is one of justice it's one that desires to bring him glory it's one that is holy and the wrath of god is the result of god's holiness understand that god is a just and holy god and because of our choosing because of our choosing of rejecting his goodness and not meeting the standard of his goodness and his holiness, we have released our relationship with him. We have, we have taken from God all of the things he has blessed us with, but we've rejected him. We have taken the air that is in our lungs. We have taken the, the blessing that we have of food and shelter and, and, and the, the, the resources of this planet that God has created for us to use for our benefit, but primarily for His glory. We have taken those things and used them, but we have rejected God. We have not given honor and glory to Him. We've worshipped His creation instead of the Creator. And so the wrath of God as a result of that has been stored up for mankind. And it has to be satisfied because if God's wrath were not satisfied against rejecting Him, then God wouldn't be holy. God wouldn't be just. He would be a watered-down version of holiness. He would be a corrupt judge. Think about it this way. If there were a criminal who had created a heinous crime and he was standing before a righteous judge, that criminal would be shaken in his boots. That criminal would be going, oh no, this guy always calls it down the line. This guy always upholds the law. He upholds the standard of what the law is, and I know I'm in trouble because of that. I'm going to be shaking in my boots because I know I'm going to get what I deserve. But if it was a judge that wasn't righteous, that wasn't a just judge, you would be a lot more comfortable in the courtroom. 
This person who had created this heinous crime would be going, oh, I'm not as worried because I know that this guy lets people slide all the time. He accepts payoffs. He's in with the mob, all these different things. And you wouldn't be as worried. But the judge would be corrupt. But God is not corrupt. God is just and God is holy. And because we have severed relationship with him and said we would rather have his stuff and not him and we have distanced ourselves from our creator because of our sin, we have outright rejected God and redirected our worship to ourselves. We've redirected our worship to stuff and we have become in ourselves dependent upon ourselves and not dependent upon our creator. We've rejected God. And because of that, his wrath has been stored up against mankind because of that. And for him to be a just God, we would have to be punished. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the wrath of God that was intended for you and me, that's a result of his holiness and our sin, was fully revealed on the cross of Christ. So when Paul is saying here in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against that ungodliness, he's talking about the cross. He's talking about, you see what happened to Jesus on the cross? That's the wrath of God that was intended for mankind, but because of God's great mercy, He gave His only Son. Because of His love, He gave His Son to take your punishment and my punishment as a substitute. So because of our faith and trust in Him, that the payment that was made through the sacrifice of Christ, you and I can be in right standing with God. Now it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? But when you look at the wrath of God, you look at the cross. That's what Paul's talking about here. Because he's talking about being justified or brought back into a right relationship with God. Because justification brings us reconciliation with God. It brings us into right standing with God. Because now I'm righteous in the eyes of God, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. You see, it's His righteousness that He has clothed me with because He took my place. He took your place. He stood in the gap for humanity because that way God is still holy, God is still just, and you and I are now justified in the eyes of a holy God because of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What are they suppressing? They're suppressing the fact that Christ is the answer. They're suppressing the truth that God is holy. They're somehow believing that they can make a way to find satisfaction and meaning and significance in life apart from God. They think that they can live their life however they want to in order to please themselves and fulfill the emptiness that is in their heart. And they're suppressing that truth that has been made evident to them by accepting a lie. It's what Paul says. Let's continue reading. It says, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, when we think of God's wrath, when we think of His, His, His righteousness and His holiness, when we think about relationship being restored with God, we can't earn that, we can't deserve that, we can't be good enough in our own actions for it. Jesus paid it all, and to suppress that 
would be me completely depending on myself, even though God is clearly showing me His goodness, even though God is clearly showing me His righteousness, even though God is clearly showing me His holiness. You see, God has revealed Himself to mankind in three ways, and that's through creation, the law, and through the gospel. He has clearly shown to all of mankind who He is, how great He is. But a lot of times, what have we done? We look at creation, and instead of it pointing us to worship the Creator, we worship creation. We begin to look to creation or created things to somehow satisfy us, give us significance and meaning in life, and so we chase after created things to fill a hole in us. When the purpose of all of these created things is to reveal God to us. Not for us to worship the sunrise, but for the sunrise and its beauty to point us to the Creator. Not for you to worship the fact that you got a promotion at your job and now you're making a lot of money and you're bowing down to the almighty dollar, but because you see the fact that God has blessed you with a job and given you the ability to earn and buy things, that you understand it's His grace and it reveals to you His goodness and His kindness and you see God. It's not that you're eating food that God has so graciously given you and created it to taste in a certain way and you're enjoying it for what it is, but you're going, it points me to worship God and realize how good He is. The fact that He would grace us with the air to breathe, with the ability to be able to enjoy food, with the, with, with the ability to be able to have the physical strength to go out and have a job and, have, and, and be able to earn an income and, and, and to provide for our families and all those things. This is God revealing Himself to us to show us His goodness in creation. And then in the law, we see the standard of God. We see the holiness of God. We see the purity. We see the justice of God. And we see how high His standards are. We see what holiness looks like when we look at the law because none of us could hold the law to perfection. Christ came and He fulfilled the law because I couldn't do it. Because I would give in to my sin and my, my lusts of my flesh. But Jesus did. Jesus came and fulfilled the law and showed us the heart of God not only through the law but through the way He fulfilled the law. And then we see the heart of God that is revealed to all mankind through the gospel. We see how the law shows us our sin and shows us our depravity and our need for a Savior and how it breaks us and, and brings us to a place of realizing our need and how the gospel comes in. And when we think that we're going to get the electric chair, when we think we're going to get the punishment that we rightfully deserve because the Bible said the wages of sin is death, the gift of God that brings eternal life sweeps in and His name is Jesus. And that's the gospel. And so God is revealing himself to mankind in these three ways. He said the, that, that I'm, I, the, the, the things of God are clearly seen by these people. They should understand that I am revealing my heart to them. That's why he sends pastors and preachers and teachers. And that's why nature is just beautiful. And that's why that man has this thing written on his heart where he understands a sense of morality and, and a sense of justice, even though no one could teach us these things, because God is revealing himself to mankind and showing them, you are not sufficient in and of yourself. You need a Savior. Showing you, look, I am the answer. He's trying to point mankind to worship him. But here's what he's saying, that those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, they're doing this because what was known of God is manifest in them, and God has shown it to them. Because the clear attributes are seen of God from the creation of the world. And the Bible says, they're without excuse. They're without excuse. 
There is no excuse, he says, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God. And then what's the next thing Paul says? They weren't thankful. What? Not thankful for what? Not thankful for God. Not thankful for realizing who He is. Not, not, not thankful for the fact that God has sent His Son to reconcile relationship with man and God again. It was like a, if you had a best friend and this person grossly violated your trust and your relationship, and that may have very well happened in your life. And then that person comes around the next day and they want to hang out with you and act like nothing happened. And there's this big giant white elephant in the room and nobody wants to deal with it. And you're like, you know what? I really don't want you around me right now because I I, I can forgive you and I can walk in grace towards you and I can pray for you and love you, but I'm not ready to reconcile relationship yet because that person may not realize that what they did to violate your trust was wrong. They may not understand that what they have done has so grossly hurt you and, and offended you and they don't understand that need for relationship and right standing with you, and they just think everything's just okay. Everything's good, but reconciliation has not been made. It's the same thing with us, that until we realize the gross error that we have made in our rejection of God, relationship cannot be reconciled because grace cannot be received until you realize you need it. You see, you can hear about grace, you can talk about grace, you can pray prayers all day long, you can try to be a nice person, but until you realize you need grace, you can't receive grace. Because when you realize you need grace, you, your immediate response is thankfulness. He says these people weren't thankful. He said they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. He said they're not thankful. They're denying the clear attributes of God. They're denying the clear heart of God. They're not interested in reconciliation. They think they're already reconciled. They think they're in right standing with God if there even is a God in their minds. They think that through their good deeds they can be reconciled. They think that they can be reconciled in their own strength. They think that they are right in the eyes of God and have earned His favor because they've been a nice person and they've been a good moral person. But God says, no, 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 all have fallen short of the glory of God. And see, God is storing up His wrath. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, He's again storing up wrath on the day of wrath or day of judgment where wrath will once again be poured out on mankind. And there's going to be two kind of people that stand before God on that day of judgment. One person is going to be able to say that I trusted in myself, I suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, I, even though I saw God clearly through creation, through the law and through the gospel, and through the things that He has shown me and, and revealed Himself to me in various ways, I have still denied it. I've chosen instead to worship my own way, my own thoughts above God's thoughts. I've chosen to look for fulfillment and satisfaction in life through other things. I haven't depended on God. I haven't received grace. I haven't received the gospel because I think I'm doing a pretty good job by myself. And who are you to judge me anyways? And if I live my life that way, I stand before God on judgment day and I'm going to say, God, let me into your heaven. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. But then there's going to be the person who is going to be standing before God and All of the sin, all of the rejection, all of the unrighteous behavior, all of the immorality, all of the rejection of God is going to be paid for by the blood of Jesus because they put their faith and their trust and their hope and their reliance and dependence on Him and they received His grace because they realized they needed it. And when He goes to judge them, He will say, you overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. 
He's going to be able to say, you are righteous because of Christ. You put your faith in what he did. You're justified in my eyes, and we have been reconciled because of faith in Jesus. Because then faith that what he did was enough. Because Christ has taken the throne of your heart, and you have trusted in the finished work of the cross. So, we see here that Paul's talking about these people who knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, and they weren't thankful. Because when you get something that you truly recognize you need, your immediate response is thankfulness. You ever been in a pinch and needed $1,000? You ever been in a pinch and, and maybe needed more than $1,000? <laughs> and someone came in and blessed you and may have given you the money that you needed to put food on the table or to pay a bill because perhaps something was going to happen bad in your life if you weren't able to make those payments or whatever the case would be, and someone helped you out, a friend or a family member, what was your immediate response to that? Thankful. Why? Because they gave you something you needed, and you understood your need, and you recognized your need. You humbled yourself to go to someone because you couldn't come up with it in your own strength. You had to humble yourself and go to this person, and it took you casting your pride to the side because you're basically saying to them, I am not able to come up with this in my own strength, in my own way. I've tried. I've done everything I can, so I'm going to have to rely on someone else. And then when you rely on that person, and then they, and then they bless you, and they give you something you realize you need, you immediately go, thank you. You see, the reason that people aren't thankful towards God is because they don't realize they need Him. They don't realize how empty and helpless and hopeless they are without Him because they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But when you recognize your need for God, all of a sudden you become thankful because the gift of His grace He has given freely. Freely you have received, Jesus said. It's a free gift, not of your works, lest any man should boast. So let's keep on reading here. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Stop right there. Notice the descending order in which they began to worship and how their worship became less and less and less and less and deeper and deeper and deeper down the slippery, slippery slope. And how they got closer to the ground and began to go on this slippery slope of worship. Said they changed the image of God into an image like man. They began to worship themselves, then birds, and then four-footed animals, and then creeping things. Because when you redirect your worship from where worship is intended to go, and that's to God and God alone, when you may start off one way, but it gets lower and lower and lower because you're looking for something to satisfy and fill. And this isn't doing it. i got to try this. This isn't doing it. And this isn't doing it. And I can't get enough because idols never say I'm satisfied. Idols never say, you can stop worshiping me now. You know they're going to keep dragging you down the slippery slope in order to keep you to worship them. And they put you in bondage and they drag you down. And that's exactly what Paul was sharing here about the way that worship is directed when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 24, therefore, catch this, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice that it says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible does not say God gave up on them, but the Bible does say God gave them up. God gave them over 
to their sinful desires. God said, you want to go trust in this? You want to go look for answers in this? You think that this is the way that you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction because that's really all they were looking for is satisfaction. He said, you're going to dishonor yourselves, dishonor your bodies. He said, I'm going to give you up to that passion. I'm going to give you up to that lust. Now check this out. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, verse 26. He says it again. Second time, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which, would, which, which was due. Now it says they're receiving this penalty for their error. This doesn't mean that God is punishing them for their error and God is causing whatever to happen. No, there is an inherent result that happens as a result of your sin. When we sin, when we, when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, when we decide to, desire to follow our lusts that are in our heart and God gives us over to those things, and when we, when we chase after those things in order to fulfill us, there are consequences for our actions right? That doesn't mean that God is punishing you for that. It means that you are choosing, you are self-selecting to be a slave. It's self-selected slavery where you have chosen to worship something, a creature rather than the creator, and then God says, I'm going to give you over to that. I'm going to release you to that. And he said, I'm going to give you over to that debased mind, as he said. He says it twice here so far that he's giving them up to vile passions, and he's allowing them to go down that slippery slope because their trust and their hope is not in Christ. Even though they've clearly seen him, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Let's keep on reading here. And even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God, here it is again, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which were not fitting. They're filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only those who practice the same, but those who approve of those who practice them. Whoa, that's some heavy stuff right there. That is super heavy because here's God going down, uh, or, or here's Paul, rather, going down this laundry list of God's requirements and, and, and God's righteousness and how, how, how these things have been violated and the result of that violation. And as he goes down that laundry list, a lot of us could go, yeah, yeah. And then the further down the list we go, hmm. We're pointing our finger until it gets down to some of those other ones. Yeah, disobedient to, oh, snap. Proud, ooh, inventors of evil things, oh, I've probably come up with a few evil things in my heart. What do I do then? You see, what Paul is doing is he has put everyone in this same boat. He has taken the extremities of immorality and then taken in culture what we would not uh, consider to be an extreme sin. It's a little sin. You know, the little ones... And then he took the big sins. You know the big ones, right? The ones that you don't do. You do the little ones, but they're not that big of a deal. And Paul puts them all in the same bucket. And he says, here you go. What do you think about this? Are you suppressing the truth in unrighteousness? Now the difference here, 
The difference is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, whether they've had the big sins in culture or the little sins in culture. And they all result in the same thing. The difference is, is has your recognition of your sin caused you to suppress the truth of Christ or recognize you need Him? Has your, have you recognized your sin and your brokenness and your depravity in and of yourself? Or have you said, I'm going to suppress that truth. I don't need that because I'm doing pretty good on my own. You see, I grew up in the type of church where I thought I was doing good on my own. The type of church I grew up in was very self-righteous and very proud, and it took me a long time to recognize that I needed Jesus and I needed the cross because I thought I was good because I wasn't doing the big sins. I thought I was doing pretty good. What was I doing? I was suppressing the truth that I was a sinner who desperately needed Christ, and I needed to be reconciled to God and justified by faith in Him, but instead I was trying to be justified by my own works. And it left me, led me down a path of being, being, being completely blinded, and it was diluting the truth of the cross. Because I looked at Christianity as a kid that was raised up in the church saying, yeah, Jesus, the cross, I know that one. Let's talk about something else. Let's expound upon the deeper things of the Lord. Because although I look in a mirror darkly, let me see if I can clear some of that up for you. <coughs> can we have a dissertation upon all of the elements of the temple so I can explain and then articulate to you about how I understand the proper temple procedures of Old Testament sacrifice? Let's move on to those things because I want to expand my knowledge so I can impress you with how smart I am and how many scriptures I can quote. And all of that means diddly squat if you don't know you need Jesus. You can have the, the Bible memorized frontwards, backwards, in ten different languages, in pig Latin. And it doesn't matter if you don't realize you need Jesus. And I didn't realize I need Jesus. And I think, I think that sometimes, and this is just me, this might not be you, I'm not trying to put everybody in the same boat as me, okay? But I think that sometimes when people live a life that is just full of obvious sin that is apparent to everyone. You know the stories about the people who come from the, 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 the drug abuse past and, 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 and the sexual immorality past and, and maybe all of the above and the drunkenness past and the abusive past, all those things, and they look like life has been hard and they've reaped a lot of those inherent things for those sins. They've had a rough life. They've burned bridges. They've hurt relationships. But when those people finally get to that place of brokenness and they realize they need Jesus, what do you often see? They're some of the most passionate, on-fire-for-God people because they realize, and everybody else sees it too, that they need Jesus. The problem with a guy like me was that I didn't look like that. I looked like I came from a good home and I was a good moral kid who did good moral things and I would have been considered by anyone a good boy. And I was in my own eyes. And I looked at myself as someone who was more holy or more righteous than others because I had not participated in obvious sin that you could obviously see the wear and tear of that sin in my life. And it was harder for me to get to a place of brokenness, to realize my depravity, to bring me to a place of dependence upon Christ. 
Because it's easy for someone like me who was raised up in religion, thinking that I could depend on religion to make me right with God, or that I could depend on my knowledge of Scripture to make me right with God, or how many Greek words I knew, or how well I could quote the Scriptures that I had been taught to recite. Those things don't make you right with God. Only His grace makes you right with God. It's not you getting what you deserve. It's you getting what you didn't deserve. That's His grace. And it's been given as a gift freely for you and for me. But you need to realize you need it in order to receive it. The more you realize you need it, the sweeter it is and the more you can rest. The more you can rest and stop trying to control everybody and everything in your life. So many people try to control other people. They try to control behavior because they don't like behavior of certain individuals. So they go the opposite way. They try to fix behavior, but they're not dealing with the heart because you can't fix the heart. Only Christ can. That's why we need the gospel. Because the gospel addresses the heart. That's why we need to recognize our need. That's why we need our, our need redefined. That's why we need His grace redefined because here's the crazy thing. When you see God giving people over to a debased mind, when you see God giving these people over to their lust and to their sins, that's grace. It's not your definition of grace. It's not the way I want to hear grace or think about grace, but it's grace nonetheless because God always operates in grace even when you least expect grace. Remember what I said about Jesus still operating in love even when it wouldn't have been your definition of love? You know that God being revealed here in this passage of Scripture saying He gave them over to a debased mind is still love and grace even though you might not see it that way? And Jesus said the exact same thing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, Jesus gives one of His most famous parables here that I remember acting out at a VBS in a play one time when I was about eight I've heard this story, preached this story frontwards and backwards and upside down. But this is the heart of God. This is grace in action. Luke 15 and verse 11 says, Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days thereafter, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed his swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us, be, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You need to understand something about this story. 
in this culture, this man was not obligated by any stretch of the imagination to give the son the inheritance that he requested because you normally don't get an inheritance from your father until your father is no longer alive. And so this was the equivalent of the son saying to the father, you're dead to me, I don't want relationship with you. The story of the prodigal son is the story of the fall of man all the way to the cross and reconciliation of relationship. It's just done in a very short way. It's Jesus showing the heart of God because here is the young man who basically wants to sever ties with his father and just enjoy what the father has to offer. Sounds a lot like humanity, doesn't it? God, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. God, I don't want you, but I want all the pleasures and treasures of this world that you have created. I want to enjoy all the stuff in this world, but I don't want relationship with you, so I'm willing to cut ties with you in order to just go and enjoy your stuff. And he looked for meaning and significance through his stuff, and so he began to worship the creation instead of the creator. He was suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because he didn't realize where the stuff came from. The source was who he needed relationship with, not the stuff. And so he began to worship the stuff, chase after the stuff, and then the stuff left him empty. And it left him empty to the point that he thought he was going to fix it in his own self. He said, I'll just go join myself to a citizen of the country and, and I'll go get this fixed. And the guy said, hey, best I can do is you can feed these pigs and you can take care of them. And he tried to maybe slip an occasional piece of pig slop every now and then. And that's how low he had gotten. Then Jesus said that the man came to himself and realized even my, own, my father's own servants are treated better than this and they eat better than this. And so he said, maybe I can go to my father and tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because I broke relationship with you. I broke what was most sacred and precious because you were my source, you're my father, and I didn't recognize your love and my need for your love and my need for your mercy and my need for relationship. And so just let me work my way back into your good graces by being hired as a servant. And that's what we do. When we recognize our sin, we immediately get humbled and we want to go before God and say, God, um, I- I'm going to try to do more good than I did bad, so let me work my way back into your love and your grace. And he says, Psh, I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. I saw you when you were coming. I have been hoping for this day. Somebody go get the ring. Somebody go get a robe on my kid. Somebody go kill this fatted calf because my son was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Relationship is restored. You're reconciled. When? When you realize you needed that relationship, but the same grace that received the son back into the father's arms was the same grace that let him go. Because the father knew the heart of the son. And the father knew that he had to release the son in order to spin the pleasures of this world to figure out what he really needed. Was that the father's desire? No, absolutely not. God is not willing that any should perish. But yet he came to the place of brokenness where he realized, I need relationship. Because in relationship is everything that I need. And I need right standing with my Father. And maybe I can work my way back into His good graces. And then you humbly approach Him with that type of attitude. Because James 4 and 6 says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And here comes the Son presenting himself humbly before his father. I I just want to be one of your hired servants. And he sees the heart change in his son. And he sees his son has seen this through brokenness, his need for relationship, and he immediately restores him. 
doesn't give him what he deserves. He deserved everything that, that, that happened to him and more because he said, Dad, you're dead to me. But the dad just immediately restores the son because he sees the heart change because the brokenness that he experienced caused him to change. That's grace. The same grace that received the son back was the same grace that let him go, folks. It's the same grace that said, because the father didn't have to give the son the inheritance. It's the same grace that kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Because, you know, God said that we've got to kick these guys out of the Garden of Eden because if they eat of the tree of the fruit of life, they're going to live forever in this fallen state. And so he said an angel at the guard and removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because he said, it's my grace that's moving you out. It's my grace that's releasing you, and it's my grace that has a plan for redemption to welcome you back. Because the goal of our justification through faith is reconciliation with Almighty God. A bunch of people who have violated His holiness, who have violated His laws, who do not deserve that right relationship with Him can now be welcomed into the family of God. We have now been adopted as sons and daughters. We are now a part of the family of God. Jesus Christ was the firstborn among many brethren, so now you and I can be the sons and daughters of God because of the the fact that Jesus stood in our place. Folks, that is grace, but it's the same grace that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1 that gave them over to a debased mind. You see, humanity's need for Jesus comes from a position of humility. I remember there was a gal that I've done a lot of life with, and and I love this gal dearly, and I met her before she was a Christian. And the first time I met her, I thought, oh, this this lady needs Jesus. I met her. She was was, uh, the the sister of a friend of mine when I was a youth pastor. And and, and when I saw her, I met her at the lake, and and she was in her bathing suit, and I saw she just has this massive dragon tattoo on her back, and and, and she has just these, these bags under her eyes because she's just exhausted, and she was angry and snippy, and she didn't want to meet me. She didn't care that I was a youth pastor. She didn't know Christ. She was ugly to me. She was mean to me, and she ended up actually being on my youth staff, helping me plant a church in Texas and living with me and my wife for six months, and now she's still a dear friend because of Jesus. But here's what happened to this gal. She was promiscuous. She was doing drugs. She was caught up in the party scene. She was always getting wasted every night, looking for meaning, looking for hope, looking for significance, and she wanted to end it all. I'm just going to die. I'm going to give up and die. And so she went to a bridge that was over the lake, and it was a really high bridge. Even though there was water underneath, she thought it was high enough to kill her because people had died doing that before. And so she said, I'm just going to end it all. And she jumps off of the bridge. It breaks almost every bone in her body, but it doesn't kill her. She's laying there in the water. And she said, I heard God say, when are you going to stop running from my love? When are you going to stop running from my love? And she said, she just began to weep. She cried out to God. And guess what happened as a result of that? She gave up the drugs. She gave up the sex. She gave up the alcohol. She gave up all those things that had been controlling her life. Why? Because she got to that point of brokenness where she realized she needed a Savior. Because when sin is apparent and obvious, it's obvious that we need a Savior. When we become proud in ourselves, when we become self-reliant, when we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, we don't really recognize that need because there's no humility there, so how can we receive that grace? But she received grace in a great way, and it changed her life. This gal's led mission trips. She's now working in the inner city uh, in Little Rock doing amazing things for God, and I couldn't be more proud of her. And that was almost 10 years ago that this gal came into 
my wife and I's life. She's very precious and special to us. And, and now when you see her countenance, she's completely changed. Why? Because she got to a place of brokenness where she realized she needed Jesus. It was a position of humility. You see, humility, <clears throat> humility isn't an action, but rather a position of the heart. It's not something you choose to do. Pastor Andy said this the other day when we were talking. He said that the guy in the church that won the award for being the most humble person at the end of the year came to receive his reward and they immediately took it away from him. <laughs> Humility is not an action. It's a position of the heart. And sometimes people need to move from this position of feeling deserving and entitled to feeling broken and desperate recognizing their need. Sometimes people hold on to others for too long trying to be their salvation, trying to change their behavior. You're trying to manipulate behavior and you can't because behavior won't change until the heart changes and the heart won't change until they are broken and realize they need a savior. You see, sometimes people nurse issues that others have by coddling their issues. And the real reason people do this oftentimes is because they're wounded themselves. And they need to feel needed. They get significance out of feeling needed. And so they surround themselves with wounded people. And nobody's getting better. It's just a collection of a bunch of sick, wounded, hurting people. All these people just gather around one another. Nobody's getting better. Nobody's getting healthy. Everybody's just wounded. And everyone's nursing each other's wounds. And nobody's getting healthy and healed. Because they're not understanding what grace really is. And they're putting themselves in the seat of trying to be someone else's savior. You can't save other people. Only Christ can because they don't need you. They need Jesus. Oh, I'm going to say that slow so I can say that some more. They don't need you. They need Jesus. And when you think that you're what they need, you are sorely mistaken. Because what if you're not around anymore? What happens if your life is suddenly taken from you? That's why we have to write all of our internet passwords down because I can't keep them up here. Because if I die, nobody's going to be able to log on to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> Amen. Priorities here, right? But the thing is, is that you're not the answer, so I can't rely and depend on you. I can't rely and depend on me. I've got to rely and depend on someone else. I've got to rely on Christ and His grace. You see, sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes we're so afraid of other people going through hardships as a result of their actions, and everyone wants to be bailed out all the time. And that just feeds entitlement, and it actually causes the person to resent you more sometimes. How can they ever receive grace? Look at this. You want to see one of the hardest scriptures in all of the Bible to read in church? 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. This is Paul talking about an issue in the church at Corinth. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. This dude's sleeping with his stepmom. He says, you're puffed up. He said, and, and rather than you mourning the one that has done this so that deed might be taken away from among you, he said, you've become proud. He said, for I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, I've already judged this situation, and I've already judged this one who's done this deed, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
Whoa! That doesn't sound like grace, but it is. That doesn't sound like love, but it is. Because God said, I had to give them over to a debased mind. Instead of me always trying to bail them out, I had to show them, listen, you've got to realize your need because you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And you have to let them go. One of the hardest things in my life was dealing with my dad. My dad who was the guy that everybody looked up to at his job because he was the guy that would lead Bible studies at his work. My dad was always on the prison worship team. My dad was always uh, teaching Sunday school or children's church and things like that. And I grew up with my dad being a very respected person in our church and in our, in, in, in our community. And every, anyone that knew my dad had nothing but good things to say about him. And then about 10 years ago, it came out that my dad had been struggling secretly with prescription medicine abuse. And so because of that, when all that came out, my dad was too proud to humble himself and cry out to Jesus during that point. Instead, he allowed his pride to take him the other way. And then he began to get off in all kinds of drugs. He began to get in all kinds of abuse of, of, of alcohol and lifestyle. He ended up spending a lot of time in jail, all kinds of crazy stuff that I'm going, this is not the person I grew up with. It blew me away that all this was happening. My dad was always kind of a big guy, like he had a big belly all the time. I always remember my dad always having, you know, just this big belly. And, and, and it was about a year ago, my sister sent me a picture of him and my grandma. And I thought it was my grandpa sitting next to my grandmother on the couch because my dad was this big around. And he was tiny and shriveled up and looked like he was about to die. I mean, just from the results of the abuse and how far that he had taken his sin and how he had just run away from this. And so my dad, about uh, a few months back in May, my dad calls my mom because they since divorced and he lost relationship. I, I couldn't let him be around my kids because he was always messed up. And so he lost those things. I had to set boundaries in my life. And I love him. I forgive him. But the relationship was began, you know, was, was, was skewed because I, I couldn't fully let him have access like he once did. And because he so was immersed in sin, he suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. He got to the very lowest point where he calls my mom back in May and he says, hey, I just want you to know I've got $100 left to my name. I'm going to go crawl under a bridge and I'm going to die. That's what I told my mom. My mom calls me and she's freaking out. And she says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I, we, you, we're going to go check under the underpasses. You need to drive down here from Wisconsin. You need to come help. I said, Mom, stop. I said, we've got to trust in the grace of God. I said, you've got to let him go. I said, you've been bailing him out all this time. I said, you've got to let him go. I said, well, you've got to trust in grace. I said, but, but I don't understand. But you see, releasing him and letting him go was grace. It doesn't sound like grace because we want to rescue. We want to be the Savior. We have this Messiah complex. <laughs> we want to go be the Savior, but let him go. We've got to let him go. We've got to trust God. And my dad didn't die, thankfully, because I shared with the church on Father's Day. I shared with our family this Father's Day that my dad got checked into this rehab program, kind of like a Teen Challenge equivalent. And, and my dad sent me a letter the other day. He was finally allowed to write his family. So I got a handwritten letter for me and, and, and each one of his grandchildren, because my kids are the only grandchildren he has and ever will have. But anyways... Um, my, all my kids got a letter from my dad, and they thought that was so special. And it was just clear. It was understandable. It, you could tell he's doing well. And he told me that by the time that he gets out of this uh, program, which he's going to be in it for a year, he said he will have had 900 hours of Bible study courses. 
And so he's going to get fed the word. He's going to be in a Christian environment where people are loving on him. And, and he's going to be in this great, and he's just talking to me about how much he loves it and how he's making friends and how he's growing in the Lord. It's changed his life. Why? Because he got to that low point in his life where he realized, I need help. I need a savior. I need to stop depending on myself because that was always his excuse before. I can beat this. I've got this. I'm going to try to fix this in my own strength. No, the reason that the habit is there is because the heart's wrong. Because the heart hasn't been convicted by the gospel. Because it's the grace of God that brings us back home, but it's also the grace of God that is able to let people enjoy sin for a season. Because when, re- when they're ready to re- reconcile relationship, your grace is still going to be there. God's grace is still going to be there. He's not willing that any should perish but it's also the grace that's willing to release control. It's the grace that's willing to release control. It's, 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 it, it's, it's that thing where we get to that point of brokenness, and you'll go through this over and over again in your Christian walk. You'll go through this over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. You'll realize, oh my gosh, I've been worshiping the almighty dollar. I've been serving the creature rather than the creation, rather than the creator. I've, been, I, I, I've, I've lost my, my, my relationship with my wife and my children because I was chasing after houses and cars and things and positions and titles. And, and you come to that place where it wrecks your heart. And what does it do? It causes you to humble yourself, to repent, to cry out to God. And then what does he do? He puts the ring on your finger and the robe on your back. And he says, I'm glad you got that. My grace is still here for you. My mercies are new every morning. My grace is sufficient for you. It's not, oh, you've blown it, you've messed up, you're no longer a part of the family of God. No, it's that you recognize your complete dependence upon him. And the more that that widens, the more that capacity of your dependence upon his grace increases, the more you rest. Because you're not trying to control everything and everyone You're not trying to figure everything out in your own strength. You're able to go, you know what? God, I am thankful because you have given me all I need. Christ is more than enough for me. Christ has satisfied the longings of my heart. I am full and satisfied in Jesus. But I'm going to be a wreck until I come to that place of brokenness, people are freaking out about money. People are freaking out about jobs. People are freaking out about relationship issues. People are stressed out, worried, trying to self-medicate these things in order to find some sense of relief and happiness. And Jesus is saying, I'm still the answer. How far are you going to chase that idea that those things are the answer until you're broken and realize that they're not the answer and you come running back to the Father. How long are you going to chase after that, that, that raise or how long are you going to chase after the fact that you have to have these certain types of friends? How long are you going to chase after the fact that you have to be accepted in these circles? How long are you going to chase after the fact that your life has no meaning because nobody knows your name or nobody feels, thinks that, 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 that you matter or you're important? You matter in the eyes of God. What else matters? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? I am satisfied in Jesus. Everything else is just like plus one. Because take it all away, it could all be removed from me in an instant, and I still have everything I need because I have Jesus. 
I still have everything I need. Put me in a dungeon. Put me in shackles. And I pray that my heart would reflect the worship that Paul and Silas reflected. Because even in the dungeon, even in the darkness, I have all I need. God, continue to release us by your grace to see our need for you so we can realize a greater experience of your grace. Oh, it's so satisfying and so much rest in grace. And Paul's trying to paint the picture here for the Romans. He's saying, guys, you need to stop suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Stop exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Stop ignoring the invisible attributes that are clearly seen. Stop worshiping the creation instead of the creator. You're missing the point if you do that. And, and be willing to say, God, I want to be broken in the areas that I have not given tort to you. I want to be broken in those areas to realize, oh God, I've been putting my faith and my hope and my trust in this. I've been looking for peace from this. I've been looking for, for joy from this. You see, I've been looking from I've been looking for the fruit of the Spirit from everything but the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in you. It's His Holy Spirit dwelling in you that causes the fruit of the Spirit to emerge naturally as a matter of course when you rest in the finished work of the cross. That's what makes the bloody cross beautiful. That's what makes grace so sweet when you realize you need it. There's areas probably in all of our lives where we've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and it's causing us to sin. It causes us to look to self-medicate or to find something else to feel or to satisfy or to please us. And, and, and God says, I'll give you over to that if you think that that's going to do it, but it's going to break you. And that's my heart is that if in giving you over to those things that it brings you to a point of brokenness and realizing your need for Christ, just like it did with the prodigal son. Wouldn't it have been so much more beautiful of a story for the prodigal son? to not want to cut relationship with the Father, to have just stayed there and enjoyed His presence, but He had to realize He needed Him. And the grace said, you know what? I'll give it to you. I'll let you go. Because I want you to come back. Instead of me trying to control you and keep you here, I know that your heart is wrong in this area, and I want your heart to be for me, not just for what I give you, not just for what I can do for you, but for who I am. And I want that relationship restored. But if this is your heart towards me and you want that to be dead, that's your choice. It wasn't God that chose to do that. It was us that chose to reject him. But it was his grace that let us go instead of trying to keep us in that state. Because he knew we needed a heart change. And sometimes you've got to get to the bottom. Sometimes you've got to be in a lake looking up after you've tried to take your own life. And God says, when are you going to stop running from my love? Sometimes you've got to spend all of your money and, 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 and charge up all your credit cards thinking you are looking for significance in life. And then all of a sudden you're broken by it and you realize, wow, I don't need any of this stuff. I need Jesus. And then the peace and the happiness and the joy you were looking for from those things comes when you realize that Jesus is the source of those things and not those things. This is the gospel. This is what Paul's trying to share with the Romans. This is what God's trying to share with his church today.
I pray you receive it. I pray you respond to it. I pray you respond to the gospel in a great way, in a humble way. Whether you come from a life of obvious apparent sin that maybe everyone knows about, maybe you have a reputation in town, or whether you're one of these kids like me that was raised up in church that thought I was doing pretty good on my own and then was wrecked with the gospel and wrecked with the fact that I need Jesus just as much as everybody because Paul put us all in the same bucket, didn't he? <clears throat> he put us all in the same bucket. He said, you all need Jesus. So here's what we're going to do before we go. And, and, and I know I've gone a little bit longer than I normally do and I appreciate you hanging with me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.